Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come together uh, to study your word, to uh, look into uh, all that you've revealed, uh, to better understand uh, your salvation, the messianic salvation through through your anointed son. And I pray that you'd be with us, that you'd bless us and teach us and instruct us, uh, that we would be built up in, in your gospel and in your word, and that uh, you'd give us a greater and greater boldness to speak and proclaim your word uh, to a lost and dying world. And so uh, we pray that you'd use these things and uh, bless our time together. And we pray that it be uh, all to your glory and uh, the glory of your son. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, if you remember, we were just looking at uh, the man uh, Moses uh, to get a little better understanding of the, the author of Genesis and the Torah and the, uh, to look at the audience too, just to better understand the context uh, so that we can uh, read uh, and comprehend these things better. Uh, and we were looking at uh, this section, just kind of an overview of his life, uh, and we we're seeing how his life is divided up basically into uh, three sets of 40 years. And so uh, in about 1526, at three months of age, uh, his mother uh, basically made an ark uh, for, for him, uses the same language, and uh, God providentially uh, delivered him uh, because the pharaoh of the time was killing uh, the, uh, the baby boys uh, the, the children of, uh, of the Hebrew people. Uh, and then uh, when he was 40 years old, uh, he went out uh, and saw his, his brothers and an Egyptian uh, taskmaster, uh, basically, uh, pressing uh, one of his, uh, his Hebrew brothers. Uh, and so he, he ended up killing the man uh, to, uh, to give give deliverance uh, basically in his, his own power. Uh, God didn't send him yet. It, it wasn't time. Uh, and then also saw the, the Hebrews oppressing one another, which is not supposed to be, be the case uh, with the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And so you see a real problems in God needing to save this people. Uh, and from uh, the Pharaoh hearing of that, that he's basically, as an Egyptian prince, He's turned his allegiance to the Hebrews who were becoming great and many, and they were saying they're, they're becoming too numerous and mighty uh, for, for us. Uh, Moses had to, had to flee, and they had to flee to uh, Midian and to uh, Jethro around the age of 40, uh, 1486 uh, B.C. And there he was a sojourner for uh, for 40 years until the time of, of God's commissioning. And actually, we'll get to it, uh, probably not tonight, but in chapter 2, uh, we spoke about how you have this imagery of his mother making like uh, an ark, and it uses some of the same language uh, with like putting pitch on it to uh, make it 
waterproof to, to seal it. And then putting them out into, uh, into the water. And so this reflects back to, to Noah and God delivering Noah through, through the flood when he brought judgment on the world. Well, this is the beginning of, of Exodus uh, and uh, Moses' life in chapter 2. If you go all the way to the end of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, uh, Moses dies, he goes up on the mountain and dies at 120 years. And now with the, the flood, there's this complex theme. I think sometimes people misunderstand it and can maybe just get focused on like the long ages of people. But it's a complex theme that's developed. And it was 120 years until the floods came. My spirit shall not contend with, shall not always contend with man, uh, but his days shall be 120 years. He's going to wipe out all flesh. And so 120 years pass, uh, and he introduces Noah and his three, uh, three children at the age of 500. Then at 600, uh, the, the floods come. And so the, the floods came, and they wiped out all of humanity except for the chosen, believing, righteous offspring on whom God had favor. Not that Noah wasn't a sinner. He'll end up in his uh, vineyard uh, naked and ashamed. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we're not back in paradise. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're still after the fall. Kind of like the man and the woman. But 120 years. And now Moses was a believer, but 120 years, the whole first generation, besides Joshua and Caleb, were wiped out. They died in the wilderness uh, Miriam died. Aaron went up on the mountain, 123. He was three years older than Moses, mm. his brother. He died. Moses, you shall see the land, but you shall not enter it. 120 years, Moses is cut off. And then, you know, of interest, the last one who lives uh, beyond 120 uh, that, that I know of is Jehoiada. Uh, I think that's with... Uh, Joash, or uh, maybe call him Jehoash, or <laughs> there are different, uh, different names that they, they give him, but the young boy who I think is at the, the age of seven, when Atalia, who is the uh, descendant of, of Ahab and his father Omri, uh, but Ahab and Jezebel, an Israelite from the northern kingdom, and Jezebel was a Canaanite, or, or of the, the Phoenicians, and she tried to kill the whole household of David and this little boy. And Jehoiada, uh, he lived to, uh, as I recall, 130 years, and they buried him uh, in the, uh, the, the tombs of the kings. They treated him as a king of Israel uh, at, uh, at that, uh, that time, uh, very much like, like Moses or, or kind of like a, a Samuel. Uh, and so 120 years and... Uh, with the floods, they could, the people are cut off. They die. God brings judgment. They can't enter uh, the land after the floods. They can't enter the earth after the floods uh, reside. And God makes his, his covenant. And so Moses in the first generation, although he's a believer, although by and large the, the first generation, it was a wicked, evil, unbelieving 
a generation. Uh, in fact, being cut off like this, they're the offspring, they're, they're a brood of vipers. They're an offspring of, of the serpent. They're the offspring of, of evildoers like the people that they're supposed to go in to dispossess, the Canaanites. Uh, kind of like uh, where Isaiah even says, uh, li- listen up, uh, you, uh, you people of Sodom. Here, here you, you citizens of Gomorrah, or vice versa. But, and so speaking to them, here's a people who, uh, unlike, I mean, Moses did, but uh, Joshua and Caleb, uh, God didn't strike them down with uh, the other ten spies, but he said they had a different spirit. His spirit. God, God preserved them. And if you don't have God's spirit, then uh, basically uh, you're, you're under the influence and the powers of, of evil spirits. Uh, Paul even talks about the uh, spirit who's working in the sons of disobedience. And so behind this, uh, sometimes it gives a glimpse of this uh, heavenly, invisible rulers and authorities, uh, the, the spirit beings, but then you have earthly uh, powers and authorities and, and the, uh, the angelic, uh, fallen angelic beings are behind, uh, behind them. And I think we'll talk about it when we get to uh, Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 6, but if you look at like 1 Peter chapter 3, I think it's partially misunderstood uh, sometimes, and you know I'll let you guys decide. We'll, we'll look at it in depth. But when it talks about the spirits of uh, that were uh, in prison, yeah, you have the angelic, heavenly rulers, authorities, and powers. But I think the the spirits also include the earthly rulers and authorities and powers that they're behind. Uh, where I think if you really read Peter in context, what precedes, what follows, and you take it all into account, to only accept one or the other or deny one or the other, I think is to not grasp the full picture. Uh, and, and also from the, uh, the Old Testament background that he draws upon, where even like, just as an example, uh, there, there are a ton of passages, but in Isaiah 24 through 27, you have this, worldwide judgment uh, that's going to come on all peoples. And in 24, as you read through to the end, he suddenly turns to all of this flood imagery in Genesis and says, and the, the windows of heaven uh, will be opened. Uh, and, and talks about, uh, I don't know if he mentions the fountains of the deep, but the similar language, windows of heavens open uh, and the earth is shaken uh, and then, as he gets to the end, he says that, in fact, oh, let's just, let's go there quickly. We'll look at these things much, much more in the future, but may as well just, yep, 24. And so, uh, verse 17 and before this, he's talking about the worldwide judgment. And he'll keep going back from uh, this, this future judgment. And he'll go from the judgment on, on all peoples, lowly, great, all of them. And then he'll turn to praising and glorifying God. 
because judgment and salvation a lot of times come together, as we saw in Isaiah. And then it turns back to, uh, to judgment. And so, verse 17. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken, the earth is split apart, the earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man, it sways like a hut, its transgression, its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, Yahweh will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For Yahweh of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. And so uh, this language, even before, he says, they have broken the covenant. I mean, we even say the, the everlasting covenant, but they, they've broken the covenant. It's the covenant with Noah and with all his offspring, all humanity, the beasts, they shed blood upon the earth and filled it with, with violence and wickedness and immorality, just like the people before. Uh, and so the serpent wants to, where God purposed to fill, uh, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and to have dominion over it, uh, to fill the earth uh, with uh, with his stewards, his representatives, uh, to, uh, to rule, to reign on be- his behalf so that his presence, his provision, his blessing and rule would extend to all the ends of the earth. But the serpent comes along, and not only does he want to cause the man and the woman to rebel, and Cain to rebel, and Ham to, to rebel, but he wants to bring about an unrighteous, evil, wicked offspring, a demonic offspring, uh, the, the Lamex, uh, and, and the Ham's son Canaan, and the Canaanites to fill the earth with his offspring, those who do his will, who walk in his ways, who are in solidarity with him. And so uh, I think Paul and, and the biblical authors, a lot of times you see this this. In a lot of these texts, there's actually this interface where you see the heavenly and the invisible, but then you see you see the earthly authorities uh, as well. And the, the authors, well, a lot of times they overlap it. And so there are some texts where I think people end up disagreeing too quickly and say, well, no, we, we only have humans here. Or no, we, we only have the spirits. Well, a lot of times you get an overlap uh, if, if you get all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Did, did you happen to, to hear uh, the Sunday school of last week where they were talking about the Nephilim and the, you know, the, the spirit, the, the fallen? Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard some of those, yeah. Yeah, they, they I, got into that quite a bit. And, and uh, you know, the, these demons that cohabitated with the women mm-hmm. and, 
I don't think I heard last week's exactly, it's but yeah, good. yeah, it yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, and we did go into mm -hmm. Isaiah 24 too. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, this this is like the the Old Testament book of Revelation. Yeah, right absolutely. It also shows why Jesus came casting out demons. I mean, if if you're not if if you're not um, if you're not of God, if you're not born of Him, if you don't have His Spirit in you, present uh, to, uh, to, to give life, to sustain, to provide, to bless, to, to bring about his salvation, to teach and instruct, then you're under the, the authority of the evil one and of you're open to evil, wicked spirits. And so Jesus even says to the people uh, in Luke, uh, it's maybe around 11, 12, 13, uh, somewhere throughout there, where well, he tells his, his disciples, and you, you have to connect the parables and such. A lot of times they're connected. Uh, can't just read them individually. But he, he tells them, he t t teaches them to pray and says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your, your sons, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you if you ask? And then he goes on to warn the people that when a spirit is cast out of a person, an evil spirit. It goes through, does he say waterless places or watery places? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, it goes along looking, looking for a place. Uh, and then it, it says, I know, I'll go back. <laughs> I'll go back to my old home, you know, my, my own residence. And, you know, it's been swept and uh, cleaned and put, put together their, their life in order. Um, but then it takes seven spirits more evil than it, and the, uh, the last state of the man is worse than the first. And so now he's the idea fullness. You know, he, he's filled with evil spirits under their influence, under their power, under their dominion. You know, the host of heaven, rather than than God's a uh, God spirit. And so he's warning the people and. The Israelites, the religious leaders, the people, he's casting out demons. But if you don't repent and believe the, the good news, if you don't call upon God, send your spirit, you know, upon me, then the last, your last state is going to be worse than the first. It won't do you any good that I came along and cast, cast out demons. Uh, and so... Yeah, we'll look at uh, Genesis 6. And for years, I've, I've uh, recognized that you have uh, evil spirits uh, working there and such. But the more I've studied, I think there is this interface of like demonic possession. Uh, if you read kind of the preceding context and what follows and how things unfold throughout Genesis and the, uh, the Torah and such. And so... Um, I'd, I'd basically hold the same view as far as like evil spirits, but I would say that there's also probably something more going on too, uh, just for, for a fuller picture of like what we see uh, in I, Isaiah here with, you know, he'll judge the host of heaven in heaven and uh, the kings of the earth on the earth and he'll uh, imprison them and put them in a pit yeah. where they'll be imprisoned for many days until judgment. And I think the same thing's going on in First Peter uh, chapter uh, chapter 3, uh, when he talks about the 
spirits in prison that he triumphs over in his resurrection, in his ascension, which shows that he's Lord over all. He's Lord over the living, the dead. You know, he'll judge the living and the dead. And um, that he's, he's not just Lord over the angelic beings, but the, the human authorities and powers too. And you see this echoed throughout with, well, like in, in Ezekiel, the king of Tyre, or the, the king of Babylon, where there he is addressing the, the king, uh, but uh, he, he does, uh, like Michael Heiser would argue, and I think uh, this is a good way of seeing it, it doesn't turn to like Satan, uh, in fact, the kings a lot of times use exalted language, claiming themselves to be God and, you know, I'll, I'll ascend to heaven and things like that. But especially in Ezekiel, you can hear him drawing, though, on this other rebellion that's happened. And you, you see Isaiah keep layering these things together where you have echoes because you have these heavenly, invisible spirit powers uh, behind uh, the, the human authorities uh, in in rebellion. So they want to have an ungodly offspring to fill the earth with, with their rule and their uh, dominion. And so then you see it. They're basically in the same state, the first generation, cut off except for God's graciousness. He preserves his presence, uh, his provision, his blessing through the chosen, believing, righteous uh, offspring of, of the woman and now Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Instead of just cutting them all off, the spirit comes upon Caleb and uh, Joshua. And Moses, uh, he'll, he'll be redeemed. He'll, he'll enter into, uh, into the, the kingdom. But even with, I have to look at it a little more, but you may have this recur like in Judges, but with uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, Solomon reigned 40 years, 120. He filled the land with chariots and with gold and silver and with foreign wives and with the high places and altars uh, and they're, they're worshiping false gods in the land and the kingdom was divided. It was broken apart. God doesn't utterly, he doesn't wipe out he keeps a lantern or, or like a, a light for, for David uh, to, uh, to preserve his promises. But even with Solomon, the wisest man uh, in, in all the earth, again, you see, you see that kind of this breaking up of, of the kingdom, uh, of, of uh, the fullness of God's uh, provision or, or presence, provision, blessing, and rule. Uh, you, you don't you don't have the fullness, and so uh, basically their state. Here you have a people that uh, and I think you even see it like with Stephen and such that were they're under the host of heaven, you know by and large the the first generation uh, they're worshiping the golden calves, and in, in rebelling against God, and mm-hmm. and they're also uh, Phinehas avenged when they went and they were mixing with the the Moabite women. A lot of time with like cult prostitution and stuff, mm-hmm. you basically have, well, they're, they're supposed to be God's chosen, believing, you know, righteous, a, a, whole, a holy seed. Uh, 
to be a blessing to all nations, but uh, by by mixing uh, in that that way, it's also like with um, marriage. Uh, Paul even talks about like being unequally yoked and such. It's basically to mix uh, the demonic with God. I mean, if you're a temple of the Spirit of God, then you know what 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 relation is there uh, between like the the temple of idols and the the temple temple of God? And yeah, oh, were you going to say something? Like yeah. When, when synchronism, you know, when you're adding, it leads them away. You go in yeah. and add this to Christianity and this and yeah. this and this. Yeah. You know, it's going to, well, Solomon was a good example with marrying those wives and and all the, the gods that they brought into the relationship. But that, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I look at this and I think, what hope do we have other than to be immersed in the gospel and to have gospel people teaching us things? constantly remind us of, of the good news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, because why are we any better than the, the people in the Old Testament? We're not. Yeah, we, we were. We can fall just like they can, or could. And Paul even says, uh, you uh, once uh, were, uh, you know, you, you were just like the spirit that's working in the sons of disobedience. Uh, what's that? Like in, in the beginning of uh, uh, Ephesians. In fact, <coughs> I'll just read that quickly. Hmm. Yeah, right in chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we're seated positionally in the heavenly places, no longer belonging to this kingdom of darkness uh, that's under uh, the demonic uh, realm, uh, under uh, under Satan and, the, and the, the serpent. And this is this is all all people. And I think the the rulers, like with the Nephilim and such, that mm-hmm. these were uh, these were ruling uh, authorities and in, in powers. And they're they're basically under demonic uh, demonic possession. And, and you see that with we'll see connections back to uh, Cain and Lamech, and then forward to to Nimrod uh, and Pharaoh, where. Uh, you see, like Lamech took two wives, and then he, you know, he sings his little little ditty. Uh, if I, I killed, uh, you know, killed a man for for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. He's taking vengeance into his own hands. When before the flood, it was God who would avenge. He didn't command man yet, you know. When man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be, be shed. Um, and Cain built a, a city, went away from the presence of the Lord. East, east, I'll be away from your presence. And then 
people, when they find me, they'll kill me away from God's protection, his spirit, his, uh, his provision and blessing. And he builds a city in the name of his son, Enoch. Uh, I think it's another Enoch. Yeah. And then you have a Lamech, and then the next chapter, uh, the, uh, the woman says, I've gotten another offspring in place of Abel uh, because Cain killed him. It's the first time that offspring is used again. Abel was the offspring of the woman. Uh, Seth is the offspring of the woman that God has, has preserved, the chosen, believing, righteous seed, rather than, you can say, a, a, a reprobate, unbelieving, unrighteous seed that walks in the ways of the serpent. And like Cain and Lamech, uh, they were liars like the serpent. They were murderers uh, like, like the serpent. He doesn't give proper sacrifices or worship to, uh, to God. He builds a city in his name. Uh, and then you have, uh, we have uh, Ham's son, Canaan, who's cursed. Uh, uh, Cain was also cursed like the, like the serpent. Uh, and uh, Nimrod, he, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And he's the ruler over Babel. <laughs> Again, in rebellion against God. And uh, let's make a name for ourselves, you know, they, they say. And so you, you have the demonic powers behind the earthly rulers and authorities and powers and, and the humanity in rebellion, rebellion against God. And uh, Lamech took two wives. Uh, Pharaoh, uh, you know, his, his men uh, praised uh, Sarai to, uh, to Pharaoh. Uh, so he took her, takes her <laughs> away from Abraham. Uh, to, to Basically, uh, you know, bring about the destruction of God's promises to uh, to, to Abraham. And you, you see that throughout again and again and again. Uh, and even with the Egyptians in the judgment that comes, God says he'll bring judgment on the Egyptians and Pharaoh and upon their gods. It's because you have the evil evil spirits uh, behind uh, the, the Egyptian rulers and people in rebellion against God. And so we'll see that all throughout the, the Torah and it sure makes a lot more sense where you might wonder, like in the Gospels and such, well, where's all this demon stuff come and casting out demons? And well, it's all throughout the Old Testament. <laughs> Some of it, though, I mean, you, you see, you get glimpses of the, the invisible heavenly behind the visible earthly uh, realm. So, yeah, so with... Uh, at the end of Moses' life, again, 120 years and first generations cut off except for a remnant preserved by God's grace. It frames the, the whole book of Exodus. So it's a really big part of the, the message. They came, out of, they came out of Egypt on the <laughs> Exodus, but they didn't enter into uh, the promised land. And now I'd like to... I'll go along and look at uh, some of these uh, back to Exodus 2 and just point out a, a couple of points. I want to trace the, the development, especially looking at uh, the, the offices of Moses, a judge, king, priest, a prophet, uh, even a, a deliverer of, of God's people. 
all these offices that well belong to the first man Adam, but belong ultimately to God. But I'd also like to trace along the way with some of these texts, we're going to see uh, his, uh, we've met Jethro, or uh, Reuel, uh, which means something along the lines of, like, th- they saw God. Uh, something, something along those lines. Behold yeah. God? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, I think, even looking at his name, I'd like to look at it more. But I think like uh, Melchizedek, uh, priest, priest of, of, the, of the Most High, you know, king, king and priest, and uh, uh, Melchi, or Melchizedek, uh, king of righteousness, priest of, of the Most High, Salem, Jerusalem, on uh, that land that they're going to return to, where he comes out and he blesses Abraham, unlike the the king of of I think is Sodom. There you have the uh, the five kings and like the, the four kings that uh, that uh, wage war on one another. And again, here you have Canaanites that are wiped out. Well, they're an offspring. The Israelites are called like an offspring in the rebellion of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just like the Canaanites, you know, filled with with under uh, demonic powers and. And hosts, uh, but I think the title it may be something along the lines, even even if it doesn't have the article uh, that you were asking about, like Steve, okay. where it says like Jethro, it may be along the lines of not even uh, because it uses it like consistently, maybe like Jethro, priest of Midian, <laughs> so kind kind of like a title. I, I want to look a little more, but I mean, he's obviously he's obviously a prominent uh, figure, uh, very much like like Melchizedek, who blessed Abraham uh, and, and uh, came out uh, after this uh, this war. And I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who who curse you. So I definitely think that he's prominent among his among his people, as uh, you were saying. Oh, I have to go back to Exodus 2. Ephesians 2 is not quite quite there. So let's just read one last time, uh, verse 16, uh, just to look at the priest of Midian. I, I want to trace uh, Jethro uh, and his daughter Zipporah, who he gave to, to Moses as a wife. And kind of their uh, their narrative uh, that we'll see along with the offices of Moses because they'll play an important part. They'll come up again in Exodus chapter 18 uh, where we'll be looking and in Numbers, uh, his son uh, will, will appear in Numbers. I think it's at the end of chapter 10. Could go into 11, but... And so... Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Uh, The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raoul, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. 
he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So kind of summarizing that, that whole thing. And so here a man, priest of Midian, who takes Moses in as a sojourner and gives, gives him his, uh, his daughter into to his, his protection and uh, gives him, him bread uh, and such. And so uh, here's a man that we'll see, or we're going to see that he's going to come, come to faith. He's, he's going to become a, a believer by, by chapter 18. And here's one who, like Melchizedek, blesses uh, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their most importantly, their God. Uh, and then uh, goes into, uh, closes this section, uh, verse 23. Uh, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and uh, the new king uh, that, that arose, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, or the, the king that uh, wanted to kill Moses when he slayed the Egyptian. Uh, And so, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Uh, Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And that even echoes, I think, all the way back to the, uh, toward the beginning of chapter 1, I think you probably even have like a chiastic structure in all these scenes as they uh, they develop and, and unfold. And so it then turns uh, to Moses calling, and we, we won't look uh, so much uh, at this, uh, but where the angel or messenger or envoy of Yahweh, who is himself Yahweh, uh, is, is Elohim, is God, uh, appears to Moses at Sinai when he's shepherding uh, on the holy mountain uh, in a flame of fire. Uh, kind of like with uh, Abraham where he passed through uh, the, the carcasses when he made his covenant in Genesis 15. And he saw like a torch or fire, uh, like, a, like a burning furnace and smoke pass through. Sort of this theophany image that you'll later see on Sinai as well. And let's just read the, the opening verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And so now no longer 40, uh, but now he's, uh, he's about 80. So from 1486 to 14, when he fled to 1446. Uh, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, of uh, the priest of Midian. And he fled led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb and uh, Sinai are used interchangeably. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see God, uh, or to see, God called to him out of the bush, 
Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. By his very presence, this ground's different than all other ground. You better not treat it the same way. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Uh, Then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, uh, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So he's going to send Moses to bring them out after he's already said that he's going to send them out. So Moses, as his representative, as his servant, will go uh, on, on God's behalf uh, to bring other people, uh, people out. Uh, and here we, we won't look at it all, but Moses throughout, you see questions that seem fairly innocent, but they start turning more obviously into objections <laughs> as you go along the way, and he's very reluctant. It's like before, uh, with the uh, when he is forty and goes out, you know, this this prince of Egypt and sees his brothers, and looks both ways and kills the Egyptians, goes out himself without God. Now that God is sending him, now he's reluctant <laughs> and doesn't want to doesn't want to do it and. Uh, it's like, well, why did you do it before? You know, why did you kill that Egyptian when God wasn't with you? And now that God says he'll be with you, you know, now, oh, God, you know, maybe you could send someone else. <laughs> so uh, you, you see Moses, he's, he's, it says a good thing. He's a believer, but he, he, was, a, he was a sinner. And uh, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The very mountain where he's appeared to him, this is going to be a sign to him. And there there are a whole host of signs (coughs) where he will give three signs uh, to show to the people of Israel as evidence uh, that God has sent him as testimony, uh, casting his staff down and turning into a serpent, taking it up by the tail, becoming a staff, putting his hand uh, in the fold of his garment or his bosom, and taking it out, becomes like leprous and, and white, and putting it back and becomes flesh. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, you have taking the water and throwing it on the land, and it becomes his blood. And so you have those three signs that he was to give initially to the people of Israel. But then you have the ten plagues. 
you know, these signs and wonders that are going to come upon the Egyptians. And before uh, the ten plagues, he first has him cast his staff down and it become a serpent. And then it swallowed up the, uh, the uh, Egyptian uh, like magicians and such sorcerers, swallows up their staffs. And so he, he repeats that one that he gave to the Israelites. And then following uh, the ten plagues, he brings them across the sea and destroys the Egyptians. And so you have, you have the ten plagues, and then before and after, uh, 11, 12 signs. Uh, and because he repeats the, the one with the serpent, uh, you have 14 distinct signs by the time of the, the crossing of the sea. And it was even, it was on the 14th day uh, on the, the Passover that they came out of Egypt of their, uh, their first month. And so he layers all of these themes and then there will be additional signs where when they get to the, the mountain, they'll serve God on this mountain and he appears to them. Uh, and then as they go through the wilderness and he provides for them and he tests them. In fact, with the first test that we'll see, They'll complain about the bitter waters, but wait, the God who turned the Nile into blood so that the Egyptians couldn't drink it uh, for, uh, was that one for, for seven, seven days, uh, for the first seven, uh, and then who brought you through uh, the, the sea and parted the sea and brought you through, he can't provide you with water, really? <laughs> and so we see even like the first plague, you know, like kind of a similar sort of test where they, they become un, unbelieving. Uh, and so uh, this is, is uh, one of the signs when they uh, get to the land. And uh, even with the spies and such, he says, you know, they've disobeyed me these 10 times. And, and for all the signs and wonders I've done before them, they haven't believed. You know, just like the Egyptians, Pharaoh, his heart became hard. He stiffened his neck and the people do the very same thing. And so, you know, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, verse 12, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. On this, I will be with you, this very important theme all throughout, you know, God with us. It's even tied uh, to his name. Uh, verse 13, then Moses said to God, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Uh, what shall I say to them? Uh, God uh, said uh, to Moses, Ehye, asher ehye. And probably in the context more like, I will be who I will be. Uh, because you see this, I will be with you. Uh, and some, with the, some of the forms, there can be a little amb, uh, ambiguity in, in Hebrew and kind of mismatches with English. But you also see this expansion of these <laughs> ideas where it even comes to be, and some, some things you find like in Greek translations and such, but uh, the one who is, was, and ever will be. You know, he's, he's the God who's with his people. And so God, God with us, uh, God will be with us, and we'll see, I will be with your mouth. Uh, it repeats again and again, Ehye, Asher, Ehye, and call me Yahweh. Uh, 
maybe he will be, or you know, I, I am, uh, I will be, I am, I am who I am, um, or I will be who I will be. Um, he is, or he, he shall be. And so his, his covenantal name that God, he is the God who is continuously with his people. His continuous uh, presence and provision and blessing uh, and protection for, for his people. Uh, he is the God who is, uh, who is, you know, he's the God uh, who is there. I think Francis Schaeffer even, that book along those lines, the God who is there. He's the God who is there, who is with uh, his people. And so, uh, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me uh, to you. Or, uh, Yah- or Yahweh. Uh, I am has sent me to you. Uh, God also uh, said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, uh, that the Yahweh, uh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, well, even notice, my name forever, all generations. Start up. Uh, the, the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he even started there. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. You know, I, I am Yahweh. And so you even have this, this overlap, you know, maybe the God who, where it even comes from, God who is, was, and, and ever will be. Uh, the God who, who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who will be with Moses, who will be with his mouth, and who will be with his people uh, to deliver them and to redeem them and bring them uh, into to the land. And so his name, uh, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, uh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, uh, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And a lot of times, uh, the different peoples, uh, people groups they'll mention, a lot of times there will be seven of them, or along with the, uh, the, the land even, uh, to talk about all the peoples in this, uh, this land. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry 
and for clothing, but you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And this is programmatic for the rest of the the book. I mean, these are the themes uh, that are going to unfold, and especially throughout this section of the uh, the Exodus uh, going out. And so you'll see all these things uh, unfolding with the, the plagues and uh, later with the final plagues going to the people and asking them and uh, him providing. And you even see like a glimpse with Pharaoh's daughter and even the, the women and the midwives. And God blessed them because they feared, they feared Yahweh. But giving deliverance, but also with Pharaoh's daughter, uh, sh- shall I go and get one of the, uh, the Hebrew women for you that, uh, to, to nurse him? That's a great idea. Go. <laughs> you know? And then she paid Moses' mother <laughs> to nurse him. <laughs> and so you, you kind of see maybe like a, now that you hear this, you might think back, almost kind of a foreshadowing or, you know, kind of echoing back where uh, she's even being paid to nurse her own child uh, in God's kindness and mercy. And so I start seeing the, we'll just read through it. I don't think I'll give too many comments. It's not that long. And we only have so much time, so uh, we can cover things a little more uh, next time, Lord willing. And so uh, you're going to see Moses' questions are, uh, they're a little more veiled maybe and a little more maybe innocent, but uh, they become more and more uh, something like objections. Uh, Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, Yahweh did not appear to you. Yahweh said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. And Yahweh said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, Yahweh said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. His sovereignty over nature and the serpents and you maybe you have imagery with like the Egyptians and things that they believed. Uh, the Egyptian, by the way, Pharaoh, uh, on his forehead, crown, you have this imagery of a serpent coming off the, uh, the front. And it could be like a symbol of life and power and uh, such. Uh, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Uh, and then when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Uh, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses said to Yahweh, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past 
or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Uh, or uh, even, let's see, it's not tracking quite. Ki kivad pay, heavy of, of mouth, uh, or heavy, heavy, <laughs> uh, weighty of uh, tongue, uh, I am. So he's uh, heavy, and sometimes we'll even say like un- uncircumcised. You know, he's not, he's not a, he's, he's an encumbered, Speaker, you know, he's saying not not all that that eloquent. Uh, then Yahweh said to him, "Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. I will be with your uh, mouth, and even Anochi." Uh, Anochi ehye im picha. Ehye, asher ehye. I will be ehye, or anochi ehye im picha. With your mouth. So, this, I will be, you know, uh, and you maybe have kind of I am with the God of your fathers and such. And see, so overlapping. He's the one who is. Uh, whether. Whether it's to send him, he'll be with him. Whether it's in speaking and giving him the words to speak and in being with his his prophet, his authoritative spokesman, he is with him. Uh, you also have, you know, we'll, we'll see God's spirit with, with the people, his presence uh, with his people. And boy, uh, God being sovereign, you know, most people might not want to claim uh, can maybe be quite shocking to read. You know, Moses' objection was uh, verse 11. You know, here's this for uh, comfort and encouragement. Then Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Wait, do you want to take credit for that? Really? (laughs) You know, a lot of people, when they think about God, they're like, no, God has nothing to do with that, you know, uh, being mute or deaf or seeing or blind, you know, he, if he could change it, you know, he, he would, but he gave free will to man, and so, uh, kind of like an open theism, but God, he doesn't, he's not embarrassed of this, you know, he doesn't say, well, let me qualify that, um, who, who has made man's mouth? Uh, who makes him mute? or deaf, or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, Yahweh? He's in control of these things. Uh, and so, uh, he'll be with Mo- with Moses. You know, if he sends them to speak, uh, he, uh, he's, he's given him the mouth uh, that he has, and the, the ability uh, that he has, and he's not making a mistake by, by sending him. But he said, uh, oh, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Now, finally, then the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. 
he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be his God to him. Uh, And take in your hand this staff with you, which you shall do the signs. So that's the uh, end of their uh, their, uh, conversation. There may be seven parts to it overall. Uh, They have to look in the past, but, you know, maybe we can go more detail if we go through Exodus. But uh, even here, we'll we'll see this. This says a lot about Moses. And here's the verse I want to get to, uh, one of them. You see God patient. I mean, even angry at Moses, he still, he accommodates. And and I'll give you your brother. He'll come. He'll rejoice (laughs) to to see you. Kind of unlike what Moses is doing to God. Aaron, he'll rejoice, you know, when when he meets you and he'll speak for you. Uh, And so, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Uh, Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And this says a lot about Moses. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, speaking for Moses, and you shall be as God uh, to him. And it's like, wow, that's that's strong a strong language there. Uh, you shall be as Elohim uh, to him. You shall be as God to him. Where Moses is God's spokesman. God speaks to Moses. Uh, he's dependent upon God under his rule, his authority. And he speaks on God's behalf uh, because God sends him to, to speak. But then he speaks what God has spoken to him, to Aaron, his brother, and so just as Moses is a prophet to God, uh, Aaron is like a prophet to Moses. You know, uh, Moses is placed in the, in the place of, of God, although, of course, under his authority, but uh, in, in his place uh, with the, the authority he's given him to speak to Aaron, to speak to the people. And so Aaron is basically a Moses' prophet, and Moses is uh, is. God's prophet. And so we'll see this, uh, this hierarchy is very important too, where we'll see there are many prophets in Israel, but uh, uh, they're not all co- uh, quite like my, my servant Moses. Uh, we'll see that like in, uh, in Numbers uh, 11 and then going into, uh, I think, 12. And then he says, in taking your hand, this staff with uh, or in taking your hand this staff with which you shall do uh, the signs. And so then these things uh, begin to, uh, to unfold. Now I just want to quickly look at this uh, uh, last section of the chapter and read through it. And here... And we may touch on more next time, but here it, it even basically unfolds where Moses, he returns to uh, to Jethro. He's been commissioned now uh, from, well, the, the beginning of uh, chapter 3. And, and all of it has been a God's commissioning and speaking with Moses uh, up to this point, now in uh, chapter 4 and 
even where they place the chapters, you have to read over it because their conversation uh, in the commissioning continues. But then here uh, there'll be, he returns to Jethro and there seems to be a chiastic structure here where you'll have instruction like to Moses, for instance, uh, to, uh, to return to Egypt and uh, the people. And then uh, there'll be an action where, where Moses uh, returns uh, to Egypt, uh, starts to go back. And then there'll be more instruction about what to say to, uh, to Pharaoh uh, and to do the signs and uh, that he'll kill the firstborn or uh, because Israel is his firstborn, if you won't let them go, I will kill your firstborn. Uh, and then it seems that right around the center, uh, you have uh, this section, which seems maybe very strange at first, uh, Moses uh, with uh, God about to kill Moses. And then Zipporah circumcises his firstborn, Gershom. Uh, and then you have uh, like instruction uh, again uh, to uh, to Aaron to go to Moses and uh, Aaron going and uh and then more instruction to uh, Aaron uh, and Moses, and they go to the people, and the, then the people uh, react. So you have instruction, and then uh, obedience, or maybe at the middle, uh, disobedience with, uh, with Moses uh, to these uh, things. And that's why it can maybe seem that the, the pattern is a little weird at first when you're, you're reading through. <laughs> it keeps kind of going back, back and forth to instructing and then uh, obeying it. So, uh, take in your hand the staff with which you'll do the signs. So, verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, so, 80 years old, 1446, uh, please, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt uh, to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So, uh, 40 years with, with Jethro as a sojourner, and now he's been commissioned. Now he goes back as God's authoritative prophet. Uh, verse 19, And Yahweh said to Moses, In Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And Yahweh said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Uh, and so here, Israel is firstborn heir to the inheritance, the blessings, the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they're, they're to be God's people, uh, kingdom of priests, holy nation. And if uh, Pharaoh refuses to let God's firstborn go, he will bring judgment and death upon his firstborn. And of course, that'll happen with the 10th and uh, in final plague as he hardens his heart uh, as God, God purposed. But now notice this, this interesting narrative along the way as he's traveling back. 
Firstborn son. Think first, Israel's his firstborn son. Moses is supposed to be part of that, right? Uh, At the lodging place uh, on the way, Yahweh met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Moses was disobedient. He didn't circumcise his firstborn. He didn't circumcise his son. And so here's his prophet that's supposed to be going back. But this was the sign of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And anyone who would not circumcise their son was to be cut off from the people because it showed unbelief, saying, I'm not of God's people. I'm not of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not a sharer in the promises, a believer in Yahweh, uh, to be a Israel, a, a vessel of, of mercy and blessing to the nations. And so Moses had, had disobeyed and neglected to circumcise his son. And here's Zipporah, a Midianite. Yeah, you're of Abraham, but she wasn't through Isaac. She wasn't, wasn't an Israelite, a Hebrew. He or she, I mean, kind of like you, you see the midwives and Pharaoh's daughter, you know, God using them to save. Here, Moses is about to be cut off because he's to go back to Pharaoh and say this, but he's saying, I'm not of, I'm not of the people of God. So verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, Yahweh met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood uh, because of the circumcision. She made atonement basically and appeased God's wrath against Moses. So she knew what the problem was without being told. Well, they probably spoke over the 40 years. (laughs) You know, she must know. She must know what what was going on here, Uh, that that there needed to be uh, circumcision. At least least recently, you know, after God had revealed himself, uh, somehow she she knows uh, that uh, uh, that he should have been circumcised there. And so she makes atonement, yeah. The bridegroom of blood. Yeah. We can maybe talk more more about that, yeah. but I mean, I think just even with like the circumcision, there's blood you know uh, in, in, involved there, and and that in marrying and having their child, uh, Gershom, you know there there needs to be be circumcision and here atonement. You know she makes even makes atonement basically for. Uh, for for Abraham, and so it in, involved blood. So <laughs> characterizes him uh, as a uh, bridegroom in marrying. That then there was this uh, this shedding of blood in, in circumcision uh, requ- required of of her. I mean, to to be involved in very very directly to to atone for him. To, she had to do the circumcision because he didn't. So uh, and then. So this is probably at the heart, in the very center of it, the disobedience, where you see obedience in the other places. And so uh, we'll just read the last verses. Uh, verse 27, let's see, let's see uh, how, how Aaron responds to the word of God. Uh, Yahweh said to Aaron, 
go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, Sinai Horeb. And so he spoke to him. That's how Aaron knew to, to go out. He obeyed. Uh, <laughs> so he went and met him. You know, God said it. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron, well, so you have instruction, all the words of Yahweh well, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that Yahweh had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that Yahweh had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Uh, so they, uh, they, they bowed down, you know, knelt and they, they bowed before God prostrating themselves. And here you see the contrast instead of unbelief and disobedience where Moses was almost cut off and Moses making all these objections and such along the way, even though God had sent him, here they respond to God's word in faith, in belief, and even, even worship and in thanksgiving to God uh, after seeing the signs, after hearing the word, just as God said Aaron and the people the people would. It was Moses who was at risk of being cut off uh, here. And would that the people of Israel always responded this way, you know, even after uh, into the, the wilderness and to Sinai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's striking where, I mean, you really see here, you shall be God to Aaron. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll be the prophet to you. Uh, as as uh, Moses is a prophet to God, Aaron speaks and speaks for him. Aaron is to him. And so this authoritative prophet that he's sent, uh, but you, you see that, you know, he's, he's a sinner. You know, he, he, he was not, not, not a perfect, perfect man. And you see this throughout both uh, commendation of Moses uh, and maybe, maybe in some ways growth in belief over time. But in the wilderness, you know, he ends up striking the rock twice too and can't, can't enter the land in 120 years in the first generation. Uh, can't enter just like in the days of Noah. Uh, but we'll continue these things and we'll see more why it's so important where he's showing the authority of Moses, his offices, uh, showing God's purposes to redeem his people and that God truly, he's the righteous one. He does these things. You know, Moses, he was reluctant. You know, it's God who has to... He graciously uses sinful men to bring about his purposes. But we'll also see with Jethro and Zipporah, wow, doing this. Sounds like she came to faith, you know, that, that she was a believer in Yahweh and made atonement here. And we'll, and we'll see with Jethro coming, coming along, uh, and it'll be very important for Moses' judge in Exodus 18. But then as we go into Numbers uh, 10, 11, and 12, where Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses because he married, they'll call her a Cushite woman. She's Midianite, but uh, the racism, even though, even though foreigners, if they came to faith in Yahweh, they were to be accepted as one of their own people. And so uh, we're, we'll see this, that, you know, it's going to be a big problem 
Uh, no wonder, I mean, they took issue with Moses, but uh, Jethro and Reuel and Zipporah, here you have foreign people who are lost in rebellion, who come to faith in, in Yahweh. And so uh, just want to show some of these themes and they'll help to, uh, even though we won't go verse by verse through uh, the uh, Exodus and Numbers and such, uh, we'll see part of how, how it unfolds uh, for, for a reading. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and uh, thank you uh, for your faithfulness, uh, your graciousness, and uh, thank you, thank you for for your son, uh, for uh, for your your angel of Yahweh, uh, who is himself uh, Yahweh, uh, who is uh, is God. Uh, you're the the one true living God, and uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and you are one God, but uh, three, three distinct persons. And uh, we thank you for this marvelous uh, revelation uh, that you sent uh, your uh, your messenger uh, to to Moses uh, to commission commission him and to appoint him as a prophet and uh, to see how you graciously use uh, this uh, authoritative prophet uh, on. Like whom uh, there, uh, there was there was never one, anyone quite like him until you sent your son, who, who is uh, far far greater than him. And we thank you for your son, and thank you for your word, and give you uh, all praise and thanks and glory, and uh, pray that we would believe your word, that we would believe your signs, and uh, all that is written uh, and spoken uh, in uh, your holy scriptures. And we pray in your son's name, Amen.